So hi, August. How are you? Hi, I'm well. I'm so happy to be connecting with you. This is so exciting. So not only are you more of a professional than I am because you have like basically a little mini studio in your house, which I really always appreciate, but you are an author, you have radio, you are an expert in girl boners. I just, I have so much that I want to just get into with you, but how did this all start? <laughs> That's a great question. The <laughs> initial seed was planted literally when I was 11. Oh my gosh, you were a baby. Totally in Minnesota where I grew up. And I had that really awkward sex ed class that you may have also had somewhere. You know, I don't even think we had a sex ed class at our school. I was a very um, nosy kid and I wanted to know everything at like two years old. And so my mom was very real and descriptive about things and not in a bad way. Like my mom is amazing. It was like in a good way, but I knew probably more than a two, three-year-old should know. So yes, I miss that. But I remember watching on Wonder Years, all the awkward like sex <laughs> classes. So I can totally relate to that. <laughs> That's amazing. And what a gift that your parents gave you, that your mom gave you that. Because in Minnesota, in many places, but in like suburbia, Minnesota, it's very Scandinavian still. There's like this stoic vibe about private things, quote unquote. And so I just knew we weren't supposed to talk about sex. It was this huge taboo subject. And so I was really excited for sex yeah. ed, like <laughs> really excited. I'm like, there's going to be so much cool, mysterious info revealed. Very naughty. Yeah. Naughty yes. information. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I remember very vividly the teacher had one of those projectors that like buzzes and they're flipping through slides. Totally. And one of the slides- And they would like roll it in and it would be like very uncomfortable. You're like, oh, what's going to happen right now? You're so right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's this weird, eerie dread feeling. Yes. And she was showing slides of anatomy. And there was a, a sketch of a person with a penis. It was a, like a cisgender male medical drawing. And at one point they showed an image of an erection like just a, you know, very not detailed at all. Right, right. But I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like what a crazy thing for a body to do. It's like boys are transformers. Like what cool thing. They're transformers. To me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I literally wondered like, does it hurt? Um, can you like hang things on it? Like I was so. Can you hang things? Oh my God. This is my favorite interview already. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, you know, those moments that just stay with you. Like yep. it was one of those just encapsulated moments that really, I didn't realize it, but would change the course of my life because I remember having this moment of, wait a minute, there's gotta be something amazing that's going to mm -hmm. happen to my body. And of course we right. learned about cramps and bleeding and menstruation in a very not empowering way. And right. that was the first time that I had heard that, oh my gosh, you're going to bleed and have cramps for like 25% of much of your adulthood. So I went home kind of depressed about that. Right. And I really literally wondered about boners for me when I learned what the term boner meant. I was like, what about girl boners? But did they, did they use the actual word boner in school? My teacher did not. Unfortunately, that would have been more Because that would have been fun. 
That would have been way fun. <laughs> I recommend that. Uh, but no, it was kids on the schoolyard. I remember at right. recess, you know, people just snickering and saying like some so-and-so had a boner. And I was like, oh, that thing from class. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So what about yeah. my boners? Yeah. So that was the very beginning. And then into my teens and early 20s, I struggled a lot with body image issues and I developed a really severe eating disorder. Oh, wow. And it was a it was a very, very, of course, difficult experience. And the thing that helped me heal was recognizing that I had shame around sex. Mm -hmm. Literally, I believe that saved my life. How old were you when the eating disorder started? I mean, obviously, I understand like eating, it's something I did not um, experience myself, but I had people in my life that did. And obviously it starts from a very, very, very young age. And it just like comes, you know, it comes, you know, hello, I'm here when you hit certain ages, especially I think preteen to teen. But is that kind of when you, you discovered it? Yeah, I would say you're so right. It was gradual and so many contributing factors were involved. I was diagnosed first with anorexia when I was 18. So I would say, you know, around 15, 16, I started to get disordered in mm. the ways that I was eating and thinking about my body. And it really was intensifying. And I was sitting in a college class during treatment, not like during treatment, in between treatment. Right, 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 right. And I remember the teacher saying, today we're going to talk about sex. And I had this aha, like light bulbs going on moment yeah. where I realized I had never really talked about sex, not even with my longtime boyfriend who I was having sex with. Yeah. And it set a fire under me. I was like, I got to figure this out. Like, why, why am I so uncomfortable? What is happening? And it took a while for me to realize this, but that was the moment I stopped wanting to starve myself. Really? And what kind of class was this? It was a psychology of women class. Wow. How yeah. fascinating. And so, and you, how long had you been in treatment for already? <sighs> I'm definitely terrible at like chronology and numbers, but I want to say several months, you know, day mm -hmm. treatment, seeing a therapist, seeing a dietitian, and nothing was really working that well. I, I enjoyed therapy because I love talking and I had been modeling. And so you don't really get to talk very much, especially when I was living in France. They were always like, could you stop moving your lips? Cause we're yeah. putting makeup on you. Um, and so you're like so, me, yeah. I can't shut up. I love talking. I've always loved it. So then it's funny. I had this career where it's like, do not move your mouth. Um, but, and ironically, cause I was like selling sex. That's what they say about the fashion industry, like seduce right. the cameras. But when you're anorexic, your sexuality kind of dwindles away. Like it's there, but you kind of turn pubescent. Like you mm -hmm. start um, looking and, and physiologically um, functioning as yeah. a preteen kid, you know, you yeah. your period, there's no sexual desire. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was really, it was trippy. And, and the dietitian that didn't help me at all. I just felt like I got a new set of rules. It was really it was really strange. How old were you when you started modeling? Uh, I was really involved in theater in high school, and that kind of led into it. I was doing really local stuff 
in Minnesota, which, you know, is like a parka for Target <laughs> uh, at 16 because you can only wear coats in Minnesota, basically. Right. Yeah. And then after high school, I moved to New York and then to Paris. And I was diagnosed in Paris. I actually had a, an event where I collapsed and woke <gasps> up in wow. some medical center. Yeah. Oh, my God. You must have been scared out of your mind. I was terrified. I mean, the, being in a foreign country and waking up and you're like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. And I had passed out before, but it had been momentary. And this particular time, I don't know how long I was out. Right, right. But the most, one of the most terrifying things about that experience is actually what my first thought was. Before I worried about like, am I dying? <laughs> how long have I been here? I felt dirt in my mouth and I wondered how many calories it had. I was really, really Wow. 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 And so when you went to school and you took this class, did you immediately have almost like a flashback back to when you were 11 and were in this class and the curiosity of boners? Like, is that, were you thinking that way when you were like 15 and stuff like that as well? Like, did it ever really go away or? That's a great question. I definitely went home from that class on this sort of mission in my mind to figure mm -hmm. this out. And so I did go back down like memory lane and thinking about that first class that I had and, and then thinking about my whole journey up to that point. I loved sex. It was, I have ADHD and I wasn't diagnosed yet, which I think mm -hmm. is a huge contributing factor to yeah, the, the eating disorder as well. Um, however, that was the time I could be not buzzing in my mind was when mm -hmm. I was orgasmic with with my boyfriend. Yeah. So sex was very important to me. And at the same time, I knew that it was quote unquote bad. Like I was mm -hmm. bad for having sex before marriage. I was probably were you from a very in school having sex. Were you a very religious family? I would say my family was very religious. Yes. My grandfather was a pastor mm -hmm. and not from a progressive type church. They were right. also missionaries, he and my grandmother, and my father's side, they're Catholic, but much more liberal. Um, I had already resisted a lot of messaging around like the ideas of some of the church messages my grandfather believed in. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of really surprised me that it had still gotten into me because yeah. I think it's so prevalent in our culture as well. Totally. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I was raised Catholic and it's funny because my grandmother on my mother's side actually was had a Jewish descent, but she didn't know because her father was adopted and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I truly still feel connected to the church um, in a very wonderful, but more spiritual way. And it's almost like juju to me. Like if I fly on a plane and I don't pray to St. Christopher, like something's going to happen. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like that. But I feel like I was very lucky because I had a lot of friends that did grow up in very religious families, which I did as well, but it was more like um, relaxed. It was more just like, oh, okay, you know, have this belief, but you're not going to be punished if you do A, B, and C, you know? Um, but I still have that guilt sometimes. You know what I mean? So I do understand. And I never felt 
like, oh, um, I'm bad if I'm having sex with this guy. But there is that still part of you where you're like, oh, God, should I have saved myself for marriage? And then I'd be like, well, I would be really boring. then. <laughs> I love that you've jumped to that conclusion right away. Because it's true. Yeah. I did. I don't know if you've heard of this or did this, but I would re-virgin myself. Meaning. No, what's I that? Re- like recommit to abstinence. <gasps> I definitely was not that person. <laughs> It never lasted. However, it was something I just, I, don't, I think for me, honestly, it was maybe more about this anticipation of when you marry someone, you want to have this like incredible honeymoon period. And I was like, am I going to mess that up? Is, and I get that. I believed like God cared if I was having right. sex or not, even though I right. was like, I don't know how I feel about God, but also I don't know if this is okay. It's also just like such the unknown. And I feel like I can already, I don't know you, but I feel like I know you enough to know that control is a very big thing for you. And um, I'm bipolar. And one of the first signs that they said uh, is um, recognizable when you hit about 12 for bipolar disorder is about 90% of the women are anorexic or bulimic. And that was something that I never... um, had had that was not a sign for me it was not any so that was why it was very hard to diagnose me because it's usually very easy to go okay well has this happened to you at this point of your life um but where was i going with this oh no i know (laughs) i just have so many thoughts um no but it's a control thing and i think that you and i are very similar like that where control is very important to us so Mm. you can control okay if I stay abstinent right now and then I get married, then the control of God is with me, right? And you can control <laughs> the outcome and you control it's going to be a great marriage or you can control it's going to be a great relationship. And that sometimes is the hardest thing to let go of and be like, mm. fuck this. Life is short. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy myself and not let the other people judge, but most importantly, not let the internal judgment happen because uh-huh. that's when I spiral is when I judge myself and I have that fear, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the lack of control. I feel a lot of, um, things happen. I think maybe mm-hmm. for you, I'm just like assuming I, I'm <laughs> known you for 15 minutes, but I'm like, we're very <laughs> similar to this. Um, but I don't know if you experience that where it is like a control thing. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I haven't heard anyone articulate it quite like that. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> I think I hope it made sense. <laughs> it totally made sense. Yeah. I think that I did have a need for control. It wasn't prevalent throughout my whole life, but it was and I don't think it's part of my personality generally. Like I'm I'm not very a lot of people with anorexia, they say are like type A and that's mm-hmm. completely not me. So it's kind of weird that I was so controlling every calorie. Mm, interesting. Right. But then I realized later because of my ADHD, I could not control my own brain. Like I couldn't Mm. control what I could focus on or not focus on. Um, Right. I felt so misunderstood. I felt like an alien. I thought that there were so many things wrong with me that I couldn't figure out. And then also there was some sexual abuse in my uh, family that I learned about. And I really wanted to be there for as my mother who was going through repercussions of childhood abuse. And I wanted to help her so much. And at the same time was struggling myself 
So I do think that there was a big control factor in wanting to like, I need to be in control of something mm-hmm. and being able to hyper-focus on something because hyper-focusing is very big in my personal neurodivergent type life. <laughs> um, it, it was like, at first it gave me this high. Like I was right. so, it was like a, a relationship with an abusive person where mm-hmm. at first you're like swept into it and yep. it's so exciting and everything's beautiful. And then gradually the roles totally change and yep. it becomes a prison for you. And that happened for me fairly quickly. Was your mom very open about her sexual abuse that she had gone through with you? She was once she really remembered it. She had had repressed memories and there were like flashes that she didn't understand for a long time because it happened to her when she was very, very little. Mm-hmm. It happened to her older sibling later in childhood. So that sibling always remembered it. Uh, but my mom was triggered by children, by us kids. Like she always wanted to have a family of her own to be a mom. That was her dream to have like a happier, safer family and created that. Like my family is amazing. Uh, however, she, it wasn't until I think she was early forties or maybe 40 when really severe depression set in. Like she was hospitalized. And when I, one of my, it's weird. This probably isn't weird to you. I don't think it's weird. I think a lot of other people think this is weird. (laughs) That I I love this memory of when my mom was in a a psych ward at a hospital. That year I was crowned like ice queen, which is so Minnesota. Amazing. And I went straight from the ceremony. Instead of going to like the game that night, I went to the psych ward. And all of my mom's like board mates, all of her roommates and people on the floor were coming out like, are you the prom princess? Your mom is oh my so God, proud I'm of you. Cry. It was so sweet, so sweet. And my parents just treated it like, I think they even said, if you have cancer, you need cancer treatment. Mom has depression. She needs depression treatment. That's some of the most evolved um, language I've ever heard coming out of parents, especially from a different generation, because, um, you know, even even my parents and even um, my, my mom has been very open about it. But my dad, who I do not have a relationship with, he is bipolar and was never diagnosed and never wanted to believe it and never got the medication. And it's looked upon as being weak, you know, Um but I think now the realization of, oh, wow, this is real. And we wouldn't be judging someone if they had a broken foot. They got to go to the doctor. They got to get it put back in place. You know, they got to put those pins in it and get it fixed up. You know, so I think that even though, you know, your parents aren't 100 years old, right? I'm, but still, it is a generation above that I think that was not talked about. So I think... I, I think you must have the coolest parents of all time. Aww. I'm just going to say that. And I think that is so evolved. And I really love that they were open with their children about that because there's also, you know, the people that did get the help and did go to the psych wards and all that, but then hit everything. And then children find out later in life and they feel like they've, they've been not abandoned, what's the word that they've not just been lied to, but it's like betrayed, you know? And it's like, if you were open about this, maybe I would have understood the, you know, why you went away or why you did this. And, you know, and and then that's when the abandonment issue comes in. So I think that that's so fantastic. So fantastic. 
You know how important Pee Wee and Dottie are in my life, so I absolutely had to share with you what I do to keep them feeling their best so they can be the best companions for me. This one time, Dottie ate an entire banana peel. The vet had never seen anything like it. And after that, I realized she's going to eat anything and everything she wants. And that's really a problem because she's the most sensitive tummy ever. And now that you know that my standards are high for my pups, I wasn't going to just go out and try the next thing I found at the store. I wanted to make sure that they were healthy, fresh ingredients for her sensitive tummy. And now that she and Pee Wee are on jeans, well, we haven't looked back. Dottie is obsessed with the chicken and sweet potato recipe treats like obsessed. And I love what I am seeing for her. Her fur is beautiful. It's thick. It's glowing. And she's also happy. She doesn't have tummy problems anymore. Between the care and quality ingredients that are in Jinx to the easy to access online ordering on their website at thinkjinx.com, I can give my pups the food they deserve to live their very best life. And you can too. They even offer subscriptions tailored to your needs so you don't have to worry about running out. Their reviews, they speak for themselves. And they just started selling on Petco.com because the food is that good, making it easier than ever to get it wherever and whenever you want. As you know, I would never endorse a product that we don't actually use and love. So I've worked closely with the team at Jinx on a special offer for you. 50% off your first subscription purchase using code EMOSUPPORT during checkout at thinkjinx.com. I'll drop the website and promo code in the show details so that you can find it after the episode ends. You're welcome. And so when you were 18 and you took this class and you had this aha moment where you wanted to go back and explore the sexuality, were you diagnosed with ADHD yet? I wasn't. It was actually about like 10 years later that I was finally diagnosed. Yeah, that was a whole journey itself. Um, However, I really think the eating disorder, I just don't think I would be here because they're so serious and they're so... um, I mean, anorexia has the highest fatality rate of all mental illnesses, including depression. I, I feel very lucky, um, but definitely that set me on a path to have passion and curiosity about something. It gave me a sense of autonomy with my own body. Mm-hmm. It terrified my then boyfriend, who I think this sometimes happens when you get really empowered in your own self and your sexuality you might not match anymore with the same people. And, and so that's our relationship fine. Started, yeah. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> Later. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that that happened eventually, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's totally fine. I think a lot of people are scared of that when they finally discover um, something about their brain or the way that their body works and the other person, you know, doesn't understand and you try to adapt to that person and, and maybe low, not lower yourself, but try to hide that part that you finally feel amazing about. Um, and it will never work out. So it's okay to walk away. And that person was in your life for a specific reason. And then you pick your shit up and you get moving and you keep on going, you know? Oh my gosh. And then when did you, did, did from this, did you go to school to learn more about sexual behavior? What, what is the next step? There weren't any that I knew of sex kind of coursework available options at the school I was at. I was really in school because I was bored. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. want my life to be just about treatment. And I was, mm-hmm. and then I started having fun with it because I have always had a really hard time with traditional classroom 
settings, especially pre ADHD medication. Uh, (laughs) However, the, the experience of having like independent study classes was amazing for me. And so I started to really thrive and I did think that I would, you know, graduate with a psychology degree. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, this, this also was my ADHD and also the eating disorder because there were different kinds of like, it didn't go away instantly, of course, when I had that epiphany. So I was still struggling and I had a breakup, all this stuff. And I was, I just did not have the impulse control to really have stability in my life for a long time. So I ended up literally driving from, I drove 70 miles after that boyfriend and I broke up, drove down to my wonderful parents' place and slept between them. This big giant adult child sobbing between them. Baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're they're so sweet. They're just really, really sweet people. Uh, And I think they dealt with a lot with me, but they're also very, you know, proud as well. But I just know that it takes special people to five kids too. I was one. Oh my gosh. Were you the only one that dealt with mental health issues? Uh, There is some anxiety in my family in general. Um, I don't know about different, like, I don't think anybody else in my, like my siblings have that I know of, um, anything like what I went through at all. Right. 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 Um, I'm definitely the only neurodivergent one. Like they are very straight A students, you know, didn't disrupt the class. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I had. That's okay. You're more fun. You're more fun. Well, thank you. (laughs) I think you're fun too. Thank you. (laughs) And then, so tell me about Girl Boner, about the book, about the radio, podcast, everything. So after I had been diagnosed with ADHD and I had uh, switched from modeling to acting and then to writing. So I'm like, oh, I, this is my life. I feel I'm like, this is me now. I thought I found me. Right. And how um, old were you at this point? Late twenties. Yeah. So this is when you were having your Saturn return was just about to start. I don't know if you know anything yeah, about astrology. Yes, but it happens between like 27 to 30 for, for guys and girls, depending. Girls, it's mostly earlier yeah. um, in their like late 20s. And it's kind of, I mean, I should have a proper astrologer on here, but um, but it's basically your whole life will completely change. It's like starting over again. It's like a rebirth. So a lot of people will find that their career paths change or a lot of people will be in a relationship. That's why there's a lot of divorces in in the late, you know, 20s, early 30s for people that got married young because they become different people. Wow. That makes sense. And more evolved. Yeah. And more evolved. Sounds like my late 20s. 100%. One hundred percent. There you go. <laughs> I had no blame idea the stars. <laughs> right, right, and thank the stars because I'm so glad where it led me. Um, but what ended up happening was I masturbated for the first time at age thirty. That was another big landmark for me. I had always, without even really realizing it, kind of identified my sexuality as it had to be dependent on another person. Like my sexuality oh, equals sex with someone. It wasn't right, right. me. Right. <laughs> and so it wasn't I, about loving yourself. It was about right. loving someone else. Yes, exactly. And so after that first time, it, you were like, who needs a guy? <laughs> right. Yeah. Except that I had a, if I didn't have a wonderful partner at that time. <laughs> yeah. But I, instead I called yeah. him at work and I was like, oh, I just masturbated. 
No, <laughs> I totally did. Yes. You and, needed a gold yeah. star. <laughs> I did. I did. And I think he, he was very proud and, and tickled and Aww. blushing. Uh, but I did feel like I needed to tell the world. Like, I feel like I'd been on this journey and something in that climax also felt like, okay, now is when you speak up. Like wow. the eating disorder part never felt like my whole story. And people would say, why don't you write a memoir about your eating disorder? And I'm like, I get that. And I respect there are wonderful books about that. It didn't feel like my whole story. Like I, once I really embraced my own sexuality more fully at that time, I knew that this was my purpose. It was the thing that kept me going when I collapsed in Paris. And I remember having this weird feeling of like, I want to give up, but I can't. Like there's a mm -hmm. flickering, very like woo woo kind of light in me is what right. I felt. Mm -hmm. And I really, really thought, okay, there's something keeping me alive that is hope and I can't squash it. So I right. just got to see where this goes. And that's also what I thought of at that time when I was like, oh my gosh, like girl boners, my life purpose. I had no idea. And so that's how it started with a blog post about my sex ed class. And it just started from right from the beginning. Yeah. Did yeah. you integrate the, um, your eating disorder in the blog as well. So other women who, and men, because it's not just women. And I think people don't realize that where they could relate to that as well. I did. Yeah. At various points, I would share about my own journey. A lot of my initial posts and my book and my podcast all start out with me self-disclosing mm -hmm. in a way that I feel I hope invites people to know that they can trust me. I'm being vulnerable. You know, these issues do not just affect me. I'm not unique in this. It takes different manifestations um, to kind of occur to, to other people. But yeah, I definitely shared personal stories. And I wanted to write a book about Girl Boner and sexual empowerment. That was like my first idea because I'm a writer. And I thought, oh, it'll take me like a year. I'll have a publishing contract. I'll be touring around the world. Like, it's going to be great. And it took six years. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I'm so grateful that it did because my podcast is like my whole soul. I don't know how right. um, involved you are. It, it seems like there's so much heart in yours too. So you know what that sense of purpose is, right? It's a lot. <laughs> It's a, lot, it's a lot of work and a lot of love. It's, well, you know, it's less even about the work. It's, I feel like it's just in the most amazing way. I have two things. I don't know if you feel this way. There's first thing, it's like a therapy session. Every single time I do it and I talk to another guest, I feel like it's very much therapeutic. And afterwards, I'm like, oh my God, that was amazing. I'm inspired. And, you know, this guest did this and they did this and I'm going to try to do this. And then the other part is... I feel so drained and then I feel like I've said the same story over and over on my part where I'm like, people must be bored. Like who cares about this? Mm. Like, and then the, like the, the anger comes inside me and the fear where I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to do it anymore. Like who wants to hear this anymore? This is so stupid. Like this is a waste mm. of time. So it's this like constant battle of the high and then the low, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then it's trying to figure out the technology, which I have no idea what I'm doing. So there's that. <laughs> I didn't but, either until before the pandemic. And now I'm like, I, I would never have believed you. If you said six months ago, you're going to be editing your own podcast. You're going to be recording at home. I would never have believed you. No, it, I would have been like, forced me. have fun. That's not yeah. happening. The show's <laughs> yeah. done. 
you know, but you have to, you have to do with what you're dealt with, the cards you're dealt with, you know? It's true. And it gives me such a sense of purpose, you know, in the darkest of times, always like, well, and I think what's so, I was like, this is my thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what's also really great about your show from, from what I've listened in your story and reading up on the books and stuff, which I can't wait to wait to read. Very excited. But I think that yours is, is your life story. I think a lot of people, um, have shows and I'm not knocking it because it's great. And I, I listen to them, but they're more about, um, housewives or if they are about sex, it's like funny stories or like, it's more like, it, it's not, it doesn't have the soul that I think yours does. And I think it, it shines so much when you see that it is your story and it comes from a truth and an honesty of trying to help others mm-hmm. and not um, just a funny story of the day, you know? Thank and you. I think that that's really important that your work is so important because of that. Um, Thank you. That's so kind. Did the podcast come right after the blog or was the book first? Well, let's see. No, the podcast came first about a year after I started the Girl Boner blog. So like five years before the book, I had started appearing on other people's podcasts and radio shows. And it was interesting. I met with this marketing person who I just ran into at a conference. And she said, what are five goals that you have for the coming year? And I'm just not a planner. And so I'm like, (laughs) I have no, like when I started my podcast, all I knew was what I was doing in episode one. And I'm like, I'm doing this forever. And I still had no idea. So I just made things up and I was like, well, this sounds fun. And one of the things that I shared was I wanted to be on, I think it was five podcasts and our radio shows, which I had not been on before to talk about Girl Boner in the next X number of months. Literally it was like, boom, boom, boom. They just, they just surfaced. And the, the fifth one was on Dr. Lisa Masterson's show. She's a gynecologist. She used to be on the doctors and she had this show called uh, health and heals. And we had this great chat. And afterward, her producer said, why don't you have your own show? And I was like, why do I not have my own show? (laughs) Make it happen now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how long is the podcast? How long has the podcast been going for now? Uh, I want to say like it's around 300 something episodes. So Jeez, 2000, me and here's the numbers. I so think a long, a long time ago. 2015, I think. Yeah. It's right. been, I mean, especially in the world of podcasting, when I started, some people were like, wait, what's a podcast? Right. <laughs> so right. It wasn't the popular thing. Yes. 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 And then with the book, you have two books, right? I actually have, well, I have two girl boner books. I have a nonfiction the guide right. to sexual empowerment and then an accompanying journal that just came out in ebook yesterday. And oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so fun. So you follow along with the book and then write all Yeah, oh you God. can do it that way or you can do it separately because I wanted it to be accessible for people who just wanted they don't want to read a big 200 300 page book. They just want like, you know, they're they're writers, they like to doodle whatever. So it's a lighter read and it does follow the same arc as the book, Mm -hmm. but it's full of stories. Um, Some from my podcast, some people I interviewed, ages like 20 to 75, um, about sex toys and solo play and dating and just everything under the sun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and then I have a novel that I wrote first, which is a psych thriller about anorexia. Oh my God. Can it become (laughs) a movie? 
Oh, I would love that. I, I've had a couple of people ask me about that, but no, not any Spielbergs, if you know what I mean. Um, and no judgment. I'm all about indie, but I just never heard anything more after the first phone call. There's, there's, there's indie and then there's indie, you know, and you don't want to, you're like, what is this some softcore porn kind of thing? Like, I'm okay. I'm not going to the deep valley. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. That's so exciting. So when did, how long has it been since the nonfiction book came out that now you have the journal? Yeah. So Girl Boner, the book came out in 2018. So just two years ago, the journal came out last year. And then right now I'm co-authoring a book about pleasure after trauma with a wonderful therapist, Jamila Dawson, that's going to come out next year. Mm, Oh my gosh. How fantastic. Oh my gosh. And do you do personal one-on-one meetings with people? Do you do coaching kind of what, what is, what can the, the people who are listening right now look forward to? Oh, that's so sweet. I don't coach. I do consult a bit, but not really about sex. I mean, I am certified in sex education. Um, but I'm, I consider myself a journalist first. So like I'm a sex journalist, I'm a life journalist, I'm a seeker, a researcher, I love creating things. So I do consult a little bit about those things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if, if there is somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder that has been very treatment resistant and traditional treatment hasn't worked, and I find out about that, I often offer myself up as like a mentor because mm-hmm. for some reason I seem to be, because traditional treatment didn't work for me, um, helpful in some cases when somebody needs to feel understood. And, um, and I've worked with some parents in that capacity too, not professionally. That's just something mm-hmm. I feel like I want to give back. But, uh, but yeah, so the best, really, I mean, my show is kind of my everything. Uh, right, I am accessible right. online and I, I do answer questions each week on the show. So if people have Do you get a lot of questions about, um, a lot of questions about mental health and sexuality? So really? I, I don't think you can separate the two. I mean, do you? I mean, I don't think so. Um, I know not from my own personal stories, but I do know people who, you know, who were prescribed antidepressants and then their sexual libido goes away. And I know that that's very common um, with a lot of medications. Um, and I know that a lot of um, sexual trauma, you know, will then create PTSD, which then creates, you know, emotional and support issues and abandonment issues. And I know that it all stems to that. I just, I'm so curious, is there any question that someone ever asked you um, that really stuck with you? Oh, oh, so many. Of course, the ones that come to mind now are the latest because I've been working on them. So many of them at the heart have what is wrong with me? Am I normal? Mm. Like it's that in many different renditions typically, or there's this thing that I love or that I want to do. And I don't know how to talk about it. Um, when I have had questions about depression and other mental illnesses, one that I've heard more than once is I feel like I am burdening my partner because Mm. this is impacting my sexuality. I want them to have this vibrant sex life or I miss my own orgasms. I interviewed this wonderful woman named Krista Ann who she orgasmed and like live tweeted them because she was on antidepressants. Yes, it's so wonderful. Orgasm quest was the hashtag. This was (gasps) several years ago, but you can still find it. She's in my book too because she was like, I need the world to know. Like she 
she's a sex educator and she knew like she could get off quickly. She loved sex. She loved orgasms. And then she'd had this chronic depression for so long and her family, it's very rampant in her family. And finally she was struggling to feel like I want to be alive. Like it was mm. so intense. She got prescribed a new medication that helped so much. However, she couldn't orgasm. And so she was like, I'm going to work on it. And this. I hear this all it. the time. Mm. And she was just free. And I'm sure so many men and women came to her and said, oh my God, I feel the same way. And yeah, wow. oh, hugely. Yes. Another great person for anyone who's interested in this specific topic, Joelle and Nati. Okay. Naughty, which is kind of funny, but it's, <laughs> it's not spelled that way. It's N-O-T-T-E. She's an incredible educator and researcher, and she lives with a mental illness, and she wrote a wonderful book about like sex and depression. Wow. And she's done all these surveys and interviewed so many different people and, and found out what people's concerns are because it doesn't come up so often mm-hmm. in physician appointments, you know, mm-hmm. quality of life issues that are that are vocalized are not anything to do with sex. Like, do you have dry mouth? But no one's saying, do you have dry vagina? Like it just doesn't come up. No, and you can even go to a gynecologist and they're going to tell you, oh, well, do you want to get this pap smear? Do you want to get this? Like all this, but it's like, it's almost embarrassing. I'm someone that's fairly not embarrassed by anything. I am too, probably too vocal. So that's a problem. But I know that people are very embarrassed to ask gynecologists certain things, even just to get an STD test, right? Because they don't want to seem like, oh, well, you know, I've been slutting it up on the side. It's like, no, you've been living your life and having fucking fun, you know, but it is that embarrassment. And then when you talk to your therapist, you know, you talk about your issues, but it's also sometimes really uncomfortable to talk about sexual issues. And then they give you another therapist that you should go to and you should go to this, you know, a a sexual therapist, right? Is that what they're called? A sex therapist. Yeah. A sex therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you're like, great. Well, now I have to explain my whole story again to someone else. And then it just becomes this burden where you're constantly talking about it, but no one gives you the resources. And therapy is expensive as well. So I can only imagine sex therapy is just as expensive, if not more. So I think that you're right. These books that you can read and and just normalize talking about it, I think is really important. It shouldn't be a big deal, the word orgasm, sex, you know, and girl boners. You know, that shouldn't be a, a, a taboo thing to talk about. I so agree with you. I mean, I'm totally biased, but I completely agree with you. Yeah. Like, it's so important. And so many doctors get extremely little, if any, education around pleasure, which is one of the main aspects of our sexuality. So they're right. not saying, is sex pleasurable for you? Why would they say that right. when they've also absorbed this message that that's not what you talk about? It's I don't think it's a conscious decision a lot of times. Uh, no. But I think it's just, it's like a, it's just a spot that we just don't cover. And right. that's unfortunate because it's not, there's never anything wrong with you, with a person for having a shift in their desire, for having no. a challenge, for not wanting sex for a while, mm-hmm. not masturbating for a while, masturbating five times a day, all normal, all fine. Also all changeable if that's what you want. Um, right. But what's problematic is this culture that teaches us that there is something wrong with you and that sexuality and sexual empowerment, especially for femmes and women, like has to look very specific ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you say your goal is for 2021? 
if you had one, not five, uh-huh. just one. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm really working hard to build my podcast more, help more people through it. I love audio. I love podcasts. I love this medium as a way to explore intimate topics Mm. that are more difficult for a lot of people to talk about. And because like you, I, if anything, over talk about them, I used to kind of, you know, make friends and strangers nervous with my very (laughs) overt, because once the lid came off, I went from not talking to like boners, boners, boners. Blabbing away. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So I do feel called in a way, you know, to do this, to do this work in this way. So I'm really focused there. Okay, good. Well, I always ask now for this new season, I've been asking people, what is your emotional support? Oh, what a beautiful question. So my partner is definitely one. He's wonderful. My dog also. Always. Yes. (laughs) And also we have a bird and I never knew how much Stop. personality and affection and mischief you could have in a quarter pound being. Uh, but yeah, pets are huge. And then I have, you know, close friends too, who I consider family as well. I think it's very important to keep yourself around um, friends and family. And, you know, we can't always choose who we are born into. Um, we can't choose that. That's not our, our issue. Um, but you can choose the friends that become family. And as long as they support you and do all that um, and don't make you feel uncomfortable and awkward. Do you, one more thing that I was going to ask, because we have this, do you have like an, um, a Facebook or some sort of group chat where people can write in? Because we have that where it's like kind of an open forum where people Mm. write each other about mental health questions and stuff. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful that you have that. Uh, I have an anonymous email box on my website that people Mm -hmm. can use. The easiest way to find it is girlboner.org, where if you have a question, but you don't want to, you know, send it through Facebook where I might see your name or whatever, you can do that. Uh, you can also, I get a lot of questions through the Girl Boner Facebook page. It's not a group, mm. but a page. And then also uh, Girl Boner Media on Instagram as well. So I'm very accessible in those ways. And I'm very, very serious about protecting people's privacy too. That's so important, especially with, with something that's people believe is taboo and it won't be. I promise you it's all coming to happen and sex is going to be amazing and mental health and it's all going to be free and people are going to be like, remember that time you couldn't talk about orgasming by yourself, you know, and then it's going to be so normal again. So it'll be great. Oh, well, August, I really appreciate you coming on and it's Mm -hmm. so nice meeting you and I can't wait to hang out with you in real life. Yeah, it was so nice meeting you. And thank you for the work you're doing. It's so important. And you do it with such heart and personality that I I just know that all of your listeners feel such a deep personal connection. So I, oh, I, I really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much. Emotion. 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 Emotion.